If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would be turning with me to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. Last several weeks, we have been going through the story of Lazarus, how that the Lord, uh, this miracle took place in the life of the Lord, where first of all, we, we covered how that Jesus wept. And then the last week, we covered some other details about how when Lazarus was brought forth from the grave. It was a great event, and it it inspired faith in the people that were able to see it. This week, as we close these sermons on Lazarus, we want to consider another aspect of this passage in the Bible. Uh, John chapter 11, and we'll be reading starting in verse number 35. You can remain seated as we read God's Word. The Bible reads in John 11 and 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should have not died, or should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me, and when he had thus, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. This morning, uh, our service is going to be focusing on several things that we have read in this passage, but we'll be focusing on the last few words of verse number 44, where Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word this morning. Help us to recognize our responsibilities as your people. We thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of new life. Lord, I pray this morning that you'll help me as we open this book, as we preach the Bible, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of people who are here. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, we last week as we were preaching through this story, we, we mentioned how that Christ could have done many things. Christ, when he came up to this grave, he told them to roll the stone away from the grave, Why did he have them roll the stone away from the grave? He could have just shouted, or Jesus could have made the stone to roll away just with the speaking of his voice. 
The same thing that we see here at the end of verse number 44 where he is telling people who are watching this miracle to loose him and let him go. And what Jesus did here was a most notable miracle. It was a a miracle where someone who had been dead, where even his own sister doubted whether or not Christ could at this point in time have done this miracle. She stops the Lord when Jesus came in verse number 39. Jesus is saying, take away the stone from the grave. And his sister's like, wait a minute, that's a mistake. You remember when Christ first showed up on the scene, he said, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But there was a reason that the Lord waited. It was so that his glory could be revealed to these people. He was trying to show those that were there that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah, that he had power over death, over hell, over the grave. His spoken word raised this man from the dead. This was a miracle that could not be, it could could not be understated. It couldn't be denied. But even at the end of this passage, there were those in verse number 46 who went their ways and as a tattletale, They told the Pharisees what were done. And then in the verses following, it talks about how the Pharisees conspired to kill the Lord. Great miracles did not always mean that people would believe. Jesus did a great miracle here, but people left lost. Sometimes that same thing takes place in church services. When I was growing up, I heard the gospel preached a great many times before I got saved. I was a child who was raised... In church, my parents uh, were saved before I was uh, coming up, before I was born. And I was raised as a a three-time-a-week Christian. Uh, I was a sinner, but I went to church three times a week, and so I heard a lot of preaching. Uh, I started learning the books of the Bible. I, I knew the books of the Bible by the time I was in kindergarten and first grade. I held a Bible every week. My parents required me to bring a Bible to church. We went to programs at church like Awana in, in, uh, on Wednesday nights. And my family, one of the things that the Lord put in our family was a spirit of competitiveness. Me and my brother always wanted to beat each other at any games we played. Does anybody have competitive people in their family or am I the only one? Am I losing you this morning or what? I feel like I'm just, you know, people are, I, I mean, I hope I'm not so boring to where people are like, oh, okay, get on with it. Um, you know, I was very competitive. My brother won, won what they called the Timothy Award. He had to memorize many, many multiplied verses in the Bibles in order to get that Timothy Award. And I was younger than he was, but when I got to be his age, I wanted to win that very same award, and I did. And I did that because I wanted my brother to know that he wasn't as good as I was. So my, my motive for learning the Scriptures was not a good one. What I'm saying is, is that I, I came to church a lot. I heard the Bible a lot. I heard preaching about the Bible a lot. But it wasn't until I was 12, 13 years old when the conviction of God fell upon my soul where I received Jesus Christ personally as my Lord and Savior. I walked out of church many times unchanged by the messages that I heard, just as these folks did during the time of Christ. They saw Jesus at a grave, call a man out of the grave, and they left unchanged. They did not believe on him. Can I encourage you today, if you're a sinner, if you're apart from the Lord, you've never been saved, Jesus died so that you would be saved. 
And he paid the whole sin debt. We'll talk about this in just a moment. Jesus made a command here, and he commanded these to loose him and let him go. In the end of verse number 44. One preacher one time wrote about this subject. He said, the man was wholly raised, but not wholly freed. See, here is a living man who's in the garments of death. The napkin and other grave clothes were all together uh, garments of death, but they were much out of place when Lazarus began to live. When we think about how this may have played out as Lazarus came forth from the grave, consider how Lazarus moved. When I think about how Lazarus moved out of the grave, I think of a man who's in shackles. You ever seen somebody who comes into court and they've got him bound hand and foot and he's kind of shuffling along? This is what I picture as Lazarus coming out of the grave. Some other Bible commentators, uh, they, they think Lazarus may have floated out of the grave. Like, I don't personally believe that he, I don't believe he floated. I believe he shuffled. I believe that he was bound hand and foot. And when Jesus said for them to loose him and let him go, he was giving the folks that were around him a task to complete. Such a spectacle speaks to us about what everybody was seeing. They saw that it was in fact Lazarus as they unbound him. It was a joy to their family and friends. And it brings us to consider the assistance that sometimes people need when they have learned about Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes people have a bad attitude about those who are lost. Can you believe the way they dress? (laughs) Can you believe the way they look? Can you believe what they're doing? Can you believe they did that? I remember I was a part of a church uh, many years ago, and uh, some young people had been invited to come to church from our neighborhood. They didn't know anything about church or church life. They, they'd never been taught about anything at all. And uh, a couple of young ladies came in, and they weren't say, dressed in an appropriate attire that those at church saw. And I remember hearing some underhanded comments from our teenage girls. Look at what she's wearing. Can I ask a question? How did you expect them to dress if they don't know about Christ? How do you expect them to look if they don't know about Christ? How do you expect them to act if they're lost? Lost people act like lost people. They do things that lost people do. You know, if God's people become so aggravated that there are people that either have the scars of the world on them or that they haven't changed fully since they were saved, then they're, they're really, they've got their eyes in the wrong place. We should not just be focused on the external That could be a hindrance. This man was hindered from walking about freely, and Jesus gave the command to others to loose him and let him go. Sometimes people are hindered by their fear. Their fear that God won't accept them. Their fear that God won't forgive me of my sin. I was talking about a a friend of mine from yesteryear, this morning in in our, our prayer meeting. His name was Brother Don Merriman. And as a young man, I, I was in church, and, and Don, he fell up under such conviction. He, he, was, a, he was a Nashville uh, guitar player. He played with Chet Atkins. 
And he had failed many times in his life. He lived an immoral lifestyle, and he was under great, great conviction through the preaching of the Word of God, and he could not believe that God would forgive him because of the great sins that he had committed. (laughs) I remember hearing him groaning during the service. He would audibly be crying. Like just audibly just groaning and the pastor was preaching and laboring and talking about how that Jesus died for everybody and that his blood was was shed so that anybody could be saved. And Brother Don just could not bring himself to believe that God would not punish him for his sins and that he was offering him full forgiveness for everything that he had done. If you would please turn your Bibles with me to John chapter number 19. In John chapter number 19, the Bible speaks of here the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day of all of history that stood still. Where Jesus climbed up Calvary's hill, he laid down on a cross, and he allowed sinful men to put nails through his hands and feet and hang him up. Bible says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Jesus knew that his day to be crucified was coming, and he didn't shirk from his responsibility. He allowed this to take place. And in John chapter number 19 and verse number 30, it said, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And we're not going to preach a message about it is finished this morning, but I can tell you what was finished. What was finished there on Calvary's cross was the payment for every sin that every person in this room has ever committed. That was the payment. It was full and it was free. Jesus was hung up. His blood was shed. It was shed for every evil thought. It was shed for every evil deed. It was shed for every wicked thing that men and women and boys and girls had ever done in all of life. Everything that you ever did, are doing, and ever will do by way of sin. Jesus said, it is finished. The payment was made. Now that payment doesn't get applied to your soul until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you're willing to believe that Jesus paid it all and that he will take you. The Bible says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's what Don Merriman needed to believe. He needed to believe that if he came to Jesus, Jesus wouldn't turn him away and say, no, you're too wicked. I won't take you. And I remember the day that Don Merriman walked that aisle and bowed his knee before the Lord and trusted Jesus Christ to save him. And he was a changed man. He was a changed man because Jesus saved him. The Bible says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. My friend, if you're a sinner and you've never been saved, Jesus came to this earth to save you. It's your responsibility to come to Christ believing. Yes, I believe that you died for my sins according to the Scripture that you were buried and that you rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. That's your responsibility. It is then and only then that your sins get forgiven. The blood of Jesus gets applied to your account when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what people need to understand. But why, when Lazarus was raised, were these bandages left? Why, when Lazarus was raised, didn't Jesus just... If he had the authority and the ability 
to raise a dead man from the grave, did Christ then not have the ability to loose him and let him go just as he commanded this man to come back from the grave? Why were the grave clothes still there? Why didn't Jesus just speak the word and say, grave clothes be gone? Because it brings to us the responsibility for those who are saved to be partners with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be of an assistance to others who may have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ but are still carrying around some grave clothes. You know, God uses human instruments to accomplish his will. You might remember in Acts chapter number 9, there was a man named Saul. Saul was yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the Lord. It was the Lord who knocked Paul down or Saul down on the road to Damascus and made it clear to him that he was persecuting Jesus Christ. And Saul had a change of heart that day. From growing up toward Damascus to go and put women and children in jail, now he's asking Jesus Christ, Lord, what do you want me to do? You remember what took place next? God tells this fellow named Ananias, Ananias, there's a guy named Saul over here. I want you to go and find him. And I want you to comfort him with your words and tell him to go into the city and it'll be told him what he's supposed to do. And it was there in that city that he was baptized. And Ananias begins to argue with the Lord. Lord, I've heard a lot of things about this man. I've heard that he's done great harm to the saints at Jerusalem and that he's got letters of authority from the chief priests and the scribes. And the Lord said, you go and you do what I said. Now, why did God use Ananias? Why didn't God just come straight down to Saul as he did on the road to Damascus? Because God uses human instruments to accomplish his will. God used Ananias to come in to the apostle, or to, to who would be the apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter number nine, you remember how he started talking to him? This is a guy who just days before was going to put women and children and men in prison for following Christ. And when Ananias gets there, he uses these terms. He said, Brother Saul. He called him a brother. You know why? Because Saul had become a part of the family of God. And that made Ananias and him brothers. And he called him brothers from someone who was blaspheming the Lord and against the Lord to being a brother. A few uh, months ago, I preached a sermon on Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10. He was a God-fearing man, but he never knew about Jesus Christ. And Peter, at the same time, is going up and he's, he's, he's at the Simon of Tanner's house and God's speaking to him about the old ways from the Old Testament doing, being done away with because Christ had come and died. And he's trying to tell Peter that he can eat the stuff that we're going to be eating tonight. Certain animals that were previously forbidden to eat. Now, what God hath cleansed, don't call that unclean. And he's trying to talk to Peter about this, and Cornelius is in his place praying, and God tells Cornelius to go and get Peter because Peter was going to come and tell them what they needed to do. You know what Peter did when he showed up to a Gentile's house? He said, I've never been into a Gentile's house before, but God, God told me today, God showed me that he is no respecter of persons. And he began to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the same God that began to work in Cornelius' life, why did he need Peter to get all the way to Cornelius' house? Because God uses human instruments to accomplish his will. 
In Acts chapter number 8, we find a black man reading in a chariot coming from Ethiopia. He's got a copy of the book of Isaiah. And he's reading stuff that he does not understand. At the same time, God tells Philip to leave a revival that he's at and to go down south toward the desert. Philip may not have understood that, but the Bible talks about Philip going down there to the desert and seeing this chariot, and he starts running up toward this chariot as he's on his way back to Ethiopia, and he hears this guy reading aloud a copy of God's Word. And the Ethiopian has some questions. And Philip said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand this except somebody can help me? And Philip gets up into the chariot along with the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says in Acts 8 and verse 35 that he preached unto him Jesus. From the same scripture, he took the Old Testament and began to preach to him Jesus. And my question is this. If God allowed that Ethiopian to come all the way to Jerusalem to worship and he still didn't understand fully what he had come to worship. And now he's on his way back to Ethiopia. Why did he choose for Philip to go down there and preach to him? Couldn't God have done something just like he did with Lazarus where Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? He could have done anything he wanted. The point is this. God uses human instruments to accomplish his will. I want to ask you a question today. When's the last time that you allowed God to use you to take someone else's grave clothes off or to be an instrument on his behalf to help someone else who had come back or who had gotten saved. Now turn your Bible back to the book of Luke in the 15th chapter. In Luke 15, we preached several messages earlier this year about the prodigal son, the scriptural context. But I want you to notice something in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son had taken his father's inheritance He wasted it on riotous living. His father waited for his son to come home. The Bible says when he was a great way off, his father came to meet him. He barely even got his confession out, and the father said, that's it. That's enough confession for me. You're accepted into the family. It's a picture of a repentant sinner. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 22 of Luke chapter number 15. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now the father met this young man on that road as he came back. The father ran to meet him. The Bible speaks of the father here, where the Bible says in verse number 20, when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. The father came running. The father fell on his neck. The father kissed him. These were things that his father did. But there were certain things that his servants did. Are you a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you? Have you ever had the privilege of putting a new robe on somebody? Have you ever had the privilege of helping someone come to a proper understanding of something in the Bible and saw them accept the truths of God's Word and began to conform their life to God's Word? You know, that's what God calls us to do. God calls us, those who have believed, to help others 
Take these grave clothes off. You know, sometimes when people get saved or when people are raised from their spiritual sleep, if you will, they have a lot of things in their life that need to change. You know, the Bible doesn't say that people become grown Christians just overnight, and they don't. When we're saved into God's family, what what do we become? We become like a what? Like a baby. A babe in Christ. Babies don't eat meat. (laughs) I remember one of my children uh, boy, whenever they felt a little bit of hunger, they would let their parents have it. And as far as me, I couldn't shovel the food in quickly enough to solve one of my children's problems. The problem was is that I had let them feel that pain, that hunger pain. And now, even in the middle of a bite, it was like, ah, num, 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 ah and I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't feed them as quickly as mom could feed them. You know that Gerber baby food? How many of you like the smell of Gerber baby, or baby food and just any baby food? I, all I could tell you is that we, when we get saved, we become a babe in Christ and we need to learn to grow in Christ. Sometimes seasoned Christians expect babies to start running in a marathon or expect them to change overnight. I've heard stories of people, of Christians in the past, Many times who were living hard lives of sin and they came to the Lord and the preachers weren't focused on the exterior. You focus on the outside, that's wrong. You got to preach toward the hearts of people. And I remember there, there were people even who are special parts of my life, preachers that I'm friends with, who when they started attending church and when they got saved, there was a lot of things in their life that were backwards. Their look their appearance, the things that they were involved in at the time. And then little by little, God began to take the preaching of his word, began to change their life one step, one step at a time. And that's the way the Lord changes. This is how you grow from being a baby to a toddler to, you know, getting into that stage where you're a young person, where you become a basically a mature adult Christian man or woman. Say, what's the point, Pastor? Point is this, God's entrusted us to take those grave clothes off of other people. God's entrusted us to be a help. Jesus didn't take those grave clothes off. He told the people who were looking, and no doubt his sisters were a part of it. You don't think that it was a joy to his sisters as they took that face napkin off of him and saw, hey, it's Lazarus. He's alive. He's well. You know, may God give us a heart to help other people get these grave clothes off. Now, I don't know what these grave clothes, you can make types of anything. I think when people get saved, sometimes they, they learn that there's some prejudice that's in their heart. You say, well, what do you mean prejudice? Well, where you judge other people based on things that are outside of their control. Remember me and Brother Wayne talking, and we were talking about a preacher uh, from years ago when when the race divide in our country was real hot, and his name was S.M. Lockridge. And S.M. Lockridge was a black preacher from Los Angeles. And uh, he, talks about, he was talking about praying, the, pray, pray, how Jesus prayed, Our Father, which art in heaven. And he, he stopped right there. He says, Our Father. He goes, you know what that means? He says, if he's, if he's our Father, what does that make us? He goes, I guess that makes us brothers. There were some people there who were taught some things that weren't true. You know, God doesn't see color. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. You know, and what I'm saying is that people get saved the exact same way, red and yellow, black and white. 
We're precious in His sight, as the song said when we were growing up. You know, prejudice many times is taken away because we have a love for the brethren. You know, evil habits. There are some people, even as Christians, who've involved themselves with evil habits, things that they need to reject. May God help us to help other brothers and sisters to overcome the evil habits of life. Say, what kind of evil habits do people have? I can tell you what, with all these cell phones running around today, Many times people are feasting their eyes on things that they shouldn't. I want to tell you something. When God saves you, He wants to save your eyes. When God saves you, He saves all of you. And He begins a work of transformation in your heart. He didn't save you to sit on blessed assurance. He saved you so that you would be changed and conformed to the image of His Son. He takes you where you are. And the train begins to move down the tracks to the point where just as the Apostle Paul When he got saved on the road to Damascus, by the time he was ready to be offered and the time of his departure was at hand, you barely remember where he was when he got started. That's how much the Lord can change your life. The question here today is, let me ask you this. By way of Lazarus, have you ever been raised from the dead? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I remember when the Lord raised me. I remember when I got saved, it was when I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, when I confessed myself as a sinner, but believed on Christ through what he did on Calvary to save me. That's when salvation takes place, and that's when spiritually we rise from the dead. You say, wow, I've never heard it put like that. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think baptism represents? True baptism means to dip, to plunge, to submerge completely under. That's what the Greek word, it comes from a Greek word, baptizo. The water is horizontal, and when you baptize someone, you bury them, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of what's taken place in our heart already. We've been saved by the grace of God. We're dying to our old life, and now we're living to the new life, the new life in Christ. You know, so when you look at the story of Lazarus, you should be remember remembering a time in your life. I remember when the Lord called me out of that grave. You know, some people can't stop all their sin, sinful ways because they're dead in trespasses and sins. You say, I've tried to turn over a new leaf, Pastor. I've tried to stop this, or I've tried to stop that. And many times, people will try to make changes on their own. And they graduate from one sin, and they graduate to another. Many times when they make short-term changes, they run right back to the same sin that had them bound before, and they're even worse when they come back. Because they dive into it because they couldn't get victory over it. That's the difference between Jesus saving you, and you try to make changes on your own. You can't save yourself. But Jesus came to save you. Say, how does salvation occur when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't know of a time in your life when you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior during this invitation, I want to invite you to get saved. Stop putting it off. No man's promise tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Your life is but a vapor. Many people, they know they're lost and they put off salvation to a more convenient day. There's no better day to get saved than right now if the Lord showed you that you're lost. And if you're a saved person today, When's the last time you tried to come alongside another brother or sister by way of discipleship? 
help them, create a relationship with them. Not coming after them by way of judgment, but by, hey, hey, let me help you with something today. Let me be patient. You know, sometimes people are very impatient when they're trying to see that change comes to another person's life. They want to just jump on that and jump on that. Sometimes you need to pray about how you approach somebody else. Try to get those grave clothes off of them. You be patient with that person. You love that person. You pray for them. Season your decisions with prayer. But may God help us as his people to help other people to have the privilege of getting those grave clothes off of them. May God bless the preaching of his word to your hearts. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. What an honor we have as God's people, to help others to find the Lord. There may be somebody in here today you don't know the Lord as your Savior. I want to speak to you for just a moment as the pianist plays. I want to say this without any fear at all. According to the Bible, Jesus loves you. He's paid for every sin that you've ever committed. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you today, step out of the pew and come forward. Hey, today's my day. I want to get saved. Jesus can save you right here, right now. No matter what you've done, say, Pastor, you don't know who I am. You, You don't know how wicked I've been. I may not, but the Lord does. The Bible says that he died for your sins. He called you his friend. The greatest friend that any man could have is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ by way of salvation, I invite you to come. There's another group of people here that I'd like to address today. Those of you who are Christians. May God give you the heart attitude that you should have towards people who are living sinfully, May it be obvious to everyone else, hey, I don't have the Spirit of Christ within me. It may not be obvious to them. May God give us that help, that grace, to pray, to help those maybe who are saved, but they don't understand. They're still carrying around grave clothes. May God give us that help today. Brother John's going to sing this first verse. While he sings, have thine own way. Won't you come? invite you to come. Hold me and Say, Pastor, I'm lost. Me That's okay. Come to the Savior. People get saved when they get tired of living their life without Jesus Christ. I don't want to be lost another moment, not another day. Could be somebody here today and you're a silent disciple. You believed on Christ, but you've never followed the Lord in scriptural baptism. First step of obedience for every believer is to be scripturally baptized in water. If the Lord's spoken to you about these things, won't you come? Could be others here today. 
Lord speaking to you about something else. Won't you come? Wash me just now as in thy presence. Let's all sing on this next verse. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, said amen. amen it's been good to be in the lord's house this morning thank you for being here and for those that are visiting with us thank you for visiting with us today i pray that your heart's been touched by the preaching of god's word and the friendliness of god's people uh, please be reminded that tonight we are not only having a 6 p.m service we're having a fellowship after the service and uh, there's going to be plenty of food for everybody who comes and we we really encourage you to come back tonight we're journeying through the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to get through another couple chapters tonight and consider the truths that we find there. I, I know it'll be a blessing to you if you choose to come, but thank you for being here. There are some people that we need to pray for. Uh, Mike and Janice Zimmerman celebrated their 50th anniversary in the hospital uh, because uh, Miss Janice's kidneys are failing, amongst other things. Pray for them that God will comfort their hearts that he'll raise up Miss uh, Janice, that uh, they might be able to celebrate their anniversary, not in a hospital room, but with their other family. Pray for them. It's great to see Bill Piper yesterday during our, our um, Bill's been diagnosed with, uh, with blood cancer and bone cancer. 
and uh, the prognosis has not been good. Um, he's undergoing extensive chemotherapy treatments right now, and his body is not responding well, but he came to prayer breakfast yesterday, and it was good. We laid hands on him and prayed. We know that God's ways are above our ways, and that God has the ability to heal him, and uh, I thank God for those men that took for Brother Bill yesterday, who were able to serve him. There are other people of our congregation who are going through some a lot of uh, health problems. Be in prayer for those that are shut in. I mentioned this in Sunday school. There's a lady who called me this week named Betty Darden. She was met by Brother Daniel and Nathaniel at their door as they knocked on doors one week. And uh, she said, I just, I so want to join the church. but It's so hard for me to get there because she's caring for her ailing husband who has Alzheimer's and he's been getting out of the house. And, uh, you know, there are people that we as a church have been a blessing to. I thank God for that. We always should remember those that while we've been able to enjoy services because of our health, they're shut in or they can't be there. We've got many of our church that are like that. Let's remember to pray for them as well. Please be back with us uh, tonight if you have that ability. We're going to pray and be dismissed. Brother Alan Webster, would you dismiss the service in prayer, please?